Thanks for tuning in to Therapy and Ish. Podcasting from the therapist perspective. I'm Ariel Williams, a licensed clinical social worker. And I'm Latronette Manor, licensed mental health counselor. Therapy and Ish is not to be used as a substitute for mental health or therapy services. Hey y'all, so welcome to our new session on cultural relativism. And I have a special guest today, um, Justin. Thank yes. you for joining me. Well, thank and, you for having me. Cool. Listen, you're, you're doing us a favor because um, my partner in crime is MIA for the moment, but she'll be back soon. So, Latronette, we do miss you. But, Justin, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what expertise you can bring to our session today talking about cultural sensitivity, yeah. diversity, relativism, all of that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Justin Blue creator of Justin Blue University, also the creator of the SOS Speak to Our Sons mentorship series. And Justin Blue University, along with just my broader work and personal work, focuses on education education and life lessons from a Black perspective. So it all ties in, especially when it comes to mental health and therapy and our overall wellness. Right. And I think, um, Justin, you bring like some valuable information to this conversation just because of your studies um, within the Black community right now, and especially due to current events and everything that's going on, this is a topic that's pretty um, sensitive, Mm -hmm. so I felt like it needed to be shared, and to talk about cultural relativism in respect to um, mental health because of the simple fact that a lot of times what cultural relativism is, is that, you know, you're judging someone based on your own culture and not theirs. And so um, we know we all have unique experiences and um, we definitely need to be more open to um, looking at others and trying to understand their culture before making judgment. So um, I'm so glad that you came to talk Mm -hmm. to me about this today. So I think to get us started, How do you feel like, and and we're going to talk about more so from our Black experience, because we are, we both identify as Black people, of course, and um, how do you feel mental health is perceived or is needed within our communities? So it's it's definitely needed because we've gone through so many generations of trauma, and we're speaking about Mm -hmm. slavery, speaking about systematic oppression, along with not even from a historical viewpoint, but things that are happening in present day, present times. So being in poverty, uh, there's large, right. there's large wealth gap between white, white households, white families and black families. So being in, in poverty, that's one of the highest levels of, of oppression in itself. That's a high level of stress when you're not sure where your next meal is coming from, or you're not sure Definitely. how you're going to cover the bills for the month. Like that's, chronic stress in itself but where we what what's seen inside of a lot of people's lives and neighborhoods many times it's, it's overlooked so if a person goes off to war and they see crazy things or they see someone be murdered in front of them or they see just traumatic events off at war it's socially it's very understood why a person may have ptsd or why they, right. they may need to see, seek some sort of professional counsel and, and therapy and help. But for us, you know, 
some some people are hearing gunshots in their neighborhoods every single night. Exactly. Or, or they're yeah. watching, or they've seen multiple people uh, be 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 killed in front of them in their own neighborhoods, or they've seen many violent events, or or dealing with police brutality. That those experiences, all of that are things that could cause a person to experience something such as PTSD or other disorders or other forms of stress. So it's just as important for us to, to seek mental health and, and, and just seek help in that way as for anyone else. Right. And I, I totally agree. And I think it's good that we have you here to speak on that topic, primarily because I will say for myself as a mental health clinician, as a therapist, I'm going to say everybody should go to therapy, um, black, white, and different. But especially, you know, the things I recognize within our communities are a lot of the same things you discussed, that living in poverty and, you know, being um, having to face, you know, crime within the household and just in your neighborhood time and time again can induce, you know, really intense symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. PTSD. And it goes untreated in our communities and we see it play out in how we live our lives. And um, a lot of the, a lot of people just are not getting help. And then there is not a safe place to talk about these things, even amongst the family unit um, sometimes, because I think there was this narrative for black people that, you know, you have to be strong. And so, yeah, this is what's happening to you or around you, but it's happening to me too. You know, it was no validation sometimes. Right. Um, and so that is, it, it, it makes, and, and I'm getting a little therapeutic, of course, mm -hmm. people distrust their own, they have a distrust with their own emotional system a lot of the times because they weren't allowed to be emotional right. about what was happening around them. And um, they had to be quiet about a lot of things. So I see a lot of that in my practice as a therapist. And it's something that like as a therapist, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you need therapy. You needed this space. But um, I think I want the narrative to switch to just for persons in our community in different, um, in different positions to start talking about it as well, because maybe then it can open the door for more of us to get this help that we need. Yes, and you you uh you actually you touched on a very important area as far as not expressing emotions, burying emotions, and mm -hmm. really not dealing with a lot of it. And many times inside of our communities, we're we're raised to be that way. It's right where you know it's 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 automatically you know fix your face. Well, what are you crying for? If, you, if you're crying, mm -hmm. then stop that before I give you something to cry about. All right, what, right. whatever goes on in this house, it stays in this house. And you know, if you're if you're dealing with something, it's not important. It's always, exactly. even at a young age, being trained to to put your mental health and your emotions on the back burner, and just to really bury it a lot of times as as much as possible. And not to say that it's for all households, but generally, on a, in a cultural sense, many times that's what it is. Right. Right. No, like definitely, and you know, you and I can speak from our experience as, as black people, but you know, I've seen, I've done therapy with other cultures. Um, and the one that came to mind while you were talking is Hispanic culture as well. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of the same narratives. And so, um, you know, you have this whole group of people living right now and they don't know. I always say 
to a lot of clients is the one thing people don't know how to do is they don't know how to take care of themselves because they've always been taught to put whatever they had going on to the back burner. And um, I'm a real advocate for if you don't take care of the man as a person first, you can't be the good dad. You can't be a good father. You know, you can't right. be a good husband. You have to take care of the man. You have to take care of the woman before you put these other roles on top of her. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, and no, no, not to um, disregard anybody's skills as a parent or as a partner, but a lot of the issues sometimes you face in these roles can go back to individual needs that were not met. And, um, you know, that takes a lot of emotional awareness and a lot of emotional awareness that we're not taught to do. Right. (laughs) And so um, it's like, you know, it's a lose situation because if you don't have the safe space to feel that you can reach out and find, you know, somebody that you trust, even if, like I tell people, even if you can, you have a friend that can be as unbiased as possible, you know, be able to talk about it. Because I think for me, it really started hitting home when I started listening to um, different rappers and you hear them using the music as their therapy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're talking about a lot of the issues um, with mental health in the community. And J. Cole is one that stands out to me just because I know a particular song that he mentions about, you know, talking about drug use. Right. You know, I think it's Friends on one Mm -hmm. of those albums. And, um, you know, so it's a problem that is recognized, but it's still being ignored um, by a lot of us. and and the the coping mechanisms turn into what is labeled as being cool. So right, right, excessively drinking that that becomes labeled as being cool. Excessively smoking, um, mm-hmm. just excessively having sex or overindulging right. in sex, like that becomes labeled as being cool. But in reality, a lot of times it's just people trying to run from what's what's bothering them internally and, and trying to cope with just things that haven't been dealt with. So working to drown it out. And so we we see a lot of that within our communities. We definitely do. We definitely do. And I think, you know, um it's I can't just harp on our our community um and in the different um factors that contribute without saying that, you know, another big barrier is especially even within other um br- I would say black in in black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking sure. about um, Hispanics, you know, Native Americans. There are not enough providers, medical or mental health, out there, and there's a great distrust of the medical system. And like when we're talking about um, within the black community, you know, it, we can talk about the Tuskegee experiment and um, different things. I think I can't think of the exact name of the study. I want to recall, but it was a gonna was a gynecologist who used black women as, right. you know, test studies and kind of mutilated their organs and such. Mm-hmm. So this is something that is rooted very deep in, in um, racism, oppression, and, you know, that generational trauma. So I think for myself as a mental health clinician, I would say I understand it. I understand why people don't trust it, don't trust to come and, oh, I don't want to go and tell nobody all my business so they can go run. <laughs> And, and tell it. And, you know, I've had that said to me and I always say to them, I'm like, you know, I value what I do. And I, you know, I, I did go to school for this. I had to do what I had to do to take out some loans and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to jeopardize my profession. And, you know, I got into this field because I didn't see me in the field. I just didn't. Right. And um, my first therapist, 
that I had to interact with seriously, especially on a professional level, was an older white man. And he told me, he was like, you know, it's just not a lot of you. And um, I can tell you, I know a lot of the black therapists in St. Pete. That's like in my Pinellas County area. And I think Latronet as well. So it's a small community and we, we know each other. And so that means it's too small, um, so to speak. So, and I, I can tell you the same thing for Hispanics and like um, Oriental people that identify with the Oriental community mm-hmm. because I've worked as a social worker trying to find services for, for persons in those communities. And it's not available, you know, it's not the Spanish speaking. And so we need more of us because a lot of these people will not seek out help because they don't trust the medical model. Do you, do you think that the financial barrier plays a role? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The financial barrier. The thing is, because um, as a full-time therapist, like I wish I, well, most of the time full-time, I wish I could help everyone. But in reality, you know, I have to, this is my career. So this is something I, I use to pay my bills. Right. A lot of other therapists share the sentiments. And so we may have um, some low cost slots on our schedule with sliding scale. You know, there's EAP and I'm a really big um, advocate for just trying to share as much information as possible about the avenues. There are programs now more so than there were two years ago. Um, that are trying to put more resources for mental health in our communities. Like you see more people donating money so we can get vouchers to give out to our community. Um, I have a colleague, um, Dr. Carlia East in St. Pete. She's working on a project now. You know, it's, it, it's a constant talk, especially amongst Black therapists, about how can we get in our communities and provide these services? Because even with insurance, you know, people can't afford co-pays. You can't afford $40. Mm. Um, to go talk to a therapist. And so the the money is a big issue. It is. It is a big issue. And I think I would, because I know you do a lot of work in mentoring and, and speaking to mm-hmm. different individuals. So for you in that avenue, um, do you feel like that provides a resource for people who otherwise, you know, they may not be comfortable coming to somebody like me or even another therapist or might have not have, you know, insurance even. So I think I appreciate it. So I, I don't know if you you view yourself as that sort of resource. To a, to a certain extent, but <clears throat> similar to you, you as a as one person, you only have so much so much time right. and, and so many resources as just a human. So and you only have so much energy that you're able to put out. And so you're working to take care of yourself and you want to serve as much as you can. But then there's that reality that you, you have bills too. You got to make sure that, that you're not starving so that you can continue to work. And so exactly. it's a, it's an ongoing balance because you, when you're doing something that you genuinely care about, you're not in it for the money, but you understand that you, you do need resources in order to continue to, to live your life and to, to continue being a resource yourself so it's for me it's always it's always an interesting balance but um you know i'm i wouldn't say i'm a professional in the sense of their therapy or mental health specifically though i provide what i can i give the guidance (laughs) and the wisdom on the the areas that i can and and yeah and i appreciate mm -hmm. that i appreciate it because you know i know as mental health 
a professional, we have a different training, of course. But um, sometimes we have to use, um, I, I'm trying to think of the word I, I want to say, um, you know, you need, you need network. You need a network and you need other persons that can reach out to community to the community that you normally probably don't have can't reach out to because your schedule is full or different things. And I think persons doing work that you're doing um, can assist with that in the way of, you know, the narrative is changing, mm-hmm. you know, and not in encouraging people to like, hey, if you have to go talk about something, you can go talk about something. And I feel like in, in black and brown communities, we need more people, more advocates saying that, that well, aren't the therapists, because, you know, I, we kind of are like, they know the therapist is going to say you need to go to therapy or you need mm-hmm. to talk to somebody, but having more people in different um, avenues saying, yeah, this is a thing, go do it. Um, and not just like, I see a lot of it in, um, with more persons who, you know, maybe they are college educated. And so in a college setting, you know, we, we learn about the studies of psychology and sociology and different things like that. And you're in a setting where, you know, um, you see a lot of advertisements for mental health services on campus. Right. And college is not everybody's grind. I always say that. (laughs) So it's not for everybody. And it doesn't mean you're less than or anything. It's just some people aren't in, places where therapy is like advertised because it's not even in you know their realm of the things right. they do every day it's, it's not and so that's that's another thing is trying to make sure therapy is not just talked about to people who are you know in universities or um community college wh- whatever mm-hmm. um institution you go to because we have no problem reaching those persons. I think it's the people who aren't there sometimes. Cause a lot of people don't even know they have an EAP through their employer, mm. which is, and if you don't know the EAP is your employer has to provide you with some employers do five, some do eight, but mm-hmm. you have free sessions available to you paid by your employer each year. I think, I and think, so, I think very few people know that. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very I know. know that. And then if they do know it, the new issue is, um, you know, people aren't finding clinicians. And that was a point I wanted to talk to you about, too, as somebody like, you know, what would be some of the things you would look for? Because people are not finding clinicians that, like I said, look like them, that have the cultural sensitivity. And there's a fear of that's why I was like the cultural relativism is big because there's this fear that, okay. I picked this therapist off my EAP panel because this is what my provider, my employer is paying for. But, you know, I'm a black woman and this is like I use my example for it's an old white guy. Right. Yeah, I was in an educational setting. But if I'm really looking to go talk to this man about something that's bothering me, can I trust that this provider is going to be able to open himself up to view me as who I am and not who he thinks I should be? Yes, yes, that's tough. <laughs> That's, that's so, tough. so I mean, what would you have advice in that area for that? Because that's something that a lot of people are are dealing with and trying to solve. Is they they may want to go get therapy, but they are dealing with oh, well, they're gonna send me to this old white guy, and he doesn't know anything about where I come from, what I stand mm-hmm. for, what my experience is. I think I saw, and I think I mentioned it 
this to you earlier when you and I spoke and I said it was something I saw on Instagram and it was like, I need a black therapist because when I say I'm in my bag, I shouldn't have to explain that. Mm. Um, and, and the cultural nuances matter in, in therapy. They do because when you can just go in and be your authentic self, that's a real good therapeutic experience because you don't have to kind of explain every intricate detail of every story because I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I say if there is a therapist in your area, and this goes for any person of color, I'm going to say person of color because I, I want to just expand it, not just for black people, but we know that predominantly you will see a lot of white therapists. So people of color, if you want somebody that looks like you, if you find one, like maybe you know of one and they live in Tampa and you live in Clearwater and you don't want to drive, but they offer video sessions, but they're not on your EAP panel. Call that therapist and ask them, are they willing to do like a single case agreement and apply to that EAP panel for you to see that person? And a lot of times, I know myself as a clinician, I've had that done and I've done it because I benefit from it in the end, in the sense that I get to see you, but now I'm on their panel so I can see other persons. Mm. Um, So I encourage that. That would be like my first advice. If there's a therapist you do want to see, go ahead and um, see if that works out also utilize like online therapy apps um because they might offer um some flexibility and some more options for you to identify with persons who and this could be in regards to gender issues as well because you need um therapists who are trained in you know um helping you through that process um that that's a new not a new thing, but it's a big thing in therapy now. Because all of us as therapists, we aren't trained in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might not be the best resource. So I do say that. And I do say, keep trying, because a lot of people will give up. Like It's like, oh, I don't see anybody that speaks Spanish, so I'm just not going to go to therapy. And that's just not, you know, keep keep trying and utilize resources in the community. You know, like, if you know people knowledgeable, just like I said, if it's somebody, you know, you see somewhere and they like, yo, you know, Justin, what do you think? Um, do you know anybody I can go to? Like, even if you didn't know, you can say, hey, you know, because some people just aren't technical savvy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can even say Google therapist and your zip code. Like, that's something I tell everybody. Just tell people to Google therapist and their zip code. Um, and they might be able to come up with something and it would lead them to different therape- therapeutic databases to find therapists. Uh, you, you mentioned one thing about I believe it was online or like digital sessions. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like the people get a chance to connect relatively the same as they would if it were in person? So great question for, I appreciate you actually asking that (laughs) because right now that's what we're doing due to what is happening in the world with um, COVID-19. Where a lot of therapists are still doing virtual sessions. So virtually via a phone and FaceTime and so forth, actually for some, it is pretty good because for some um, white coach syndrome is a real thing, even with therapists, like I'm not a doctor. So um, I never think about it, but they still can come into the office and still feel like they have to um, be uptight. Mm -hmm. And so some people are in their car, they're in their home having their session and they're a lot more relaxed. And you can see them in their sort of natural environment. So that helps. And other people, they don't have the space. And, and, and 
they don't have a secluded area they can go to to do therapy. You know, they don't feel comfortable doing community. It's a community-based therapy where, you know, you're taking a walk and you might be talking to your therapist. So um, it's probably like 50-50 on that right now. Okay. And um, it's difficult because most people, you know, in most areas, you're having to wear masks, at least in Florida right now. So if we're in person, it's still sort of impersonal. Uh, because it's, you would, would you say it's, it's harder to to read what the person is expressing? Exactly, exactly. And um, I will say that therapy with, and I can speak from the Black experience, with what has occurred with um, going through COVID-19 and, you know, there are, there's been research done that, you know, of course, as with anything detrimental is affecting um, the, the Black community at higher rates, right? Because of pre-existing conditions and income issues and mm -hmm. um, social, like all those things. So that was happening. And then now with a lot of the racial um, unjust things that have been happening, but, you know, kind of just... Like the, 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 the flares of it and... Yeah, catapult it, mm -hmm. right? So more people are reaching out and I'm going to say I encourage that because you need an avenue um, and if you are going to therapy and you don't have somebody that you can identify with and this person tells you as a therapist, and I think you and I talked about that too. I told you, you know, we have to go through all this cultural sensitivity training <laughs> and you mentioned something about, well, who's putting what in the books? And that was a great point because mm. therapists can say, Hey, look, I, I'm good, you know, you can come to me and I'm not picking on a white therapist at all, but um, I've had conversations with colleagues who are white and, you know, they've had, and as therapists sometimes, no violation of HIPAA, but we do supervision with each other where you're like, hey, I have this case and I need to, you know, which avenue would you go with it, you know, so to speak and um, you know, I've had conversations where it's like, okay you know the client is, is identified as aggressive and in, intimidating, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why is, why is the client that way? Well, you know, they came in and they yelling and they, but it was just because, you know, this client is expressing themselves. They're very confident mm. in what they're saying at the moment. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're aggressive. And, you know, I just think about when you have experiences, if a therapist says, Oh, you know, you're just being aggressive about it. That's a turnoff, mm. <laughs> a major one, and it can ruin the process for somebody. So I think um, that's that's a big deal. True, especially if they feel like they're especially if they feel like they're already being being labeled that in the world. Right, right. And I'm I think I, I was bringing that up because it's just I know it's so difficult for people right now, and um. It's forcing a lot of, I call it intrusion, where you're kind of going inside yourself, examining everything around you because, you know, you're not going out as much. Mm -hmm. You're in your homes with these people that are your family, your partner, your spouse, your, your grown children, whomever. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this thing that they do that I've been putting to the back of my mind now is in the front of my mind and it's really not working. It's not good for me. So it's a lot of that happening and it's a lot of mixed feelings because um, of what is going on um, as far as, you know, with all the killings. And you spoke to that with trauma. I just want to make sure I say it again, that 
and, and maybe you some light on it. And I know you're in an academic setting and also, you know, doing a lot of um, work in the community. For me as a clinician, I always err on the side of caution for Black people watching other Black people being killed right. um, on social media because it is invoking a, a mass, almost epidemic of uh, another pandemic, so to speak, of trauma amongst Black people because we shouldn't be immune to picking up our phones and seeing someone be killed. And um, I don't know if everybody thinks about how much trauma you inflict on yourself when you're watching these videos. Right. It's not... That's just, it's not healthy. I mean, I, I do feel that sometimes it's important for the world to know what's going on and to see the realities. But the trauma of watching those things back to back to back to back on a regular basis, it's, it's, there's no way that, that that's healthy for, for a person. And right. And the, and the thing about all the content that we consume, well, in, in my opinion, I feel that the our brains were never meant to consume as much content as we are currently. It's like the mind isn't built that way to even hold all of those things that they were consuming because in, on an average day, a person may, person may um, see maybe a hundred pieces of content per day. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just taking it light. But so, but hundred pieces, hundred different various pieces of content per day times that by 30 and then times that by 12. All right. So then, so that's, that's a, a average of 36,000 pieces of content that a person is just con- consuming casually. Exactly. And I, exactly. And I would say that's on the light end. So 30, 36,000 pieces of content a, a year casually on the, on the lighters, on the lighter end of it. But if you see, if you see just one piece of content out of the 36,000 that you watched over the course of the year, you're going to remember that you saw it. Mm-hmm. No, matter what, right. no matter what right. it was, there, there's probably over a 90% chance that you're going to remember that you saw that that video or that picture, even though you might have just might have just scrolled past it briefly. So right. with all that sticking in the mind, all those videos sticking in the mind, they, they stay there and it, it just builds up. Definitely, and, definitely, and I think it, and, it it trickles over to your one your anger, your frustrations, mm-hmm. but also your your fears and your anxieties regarding your your physical experience in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, because you 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 watch a video where where someone is is being murdered slowly by let's say law enforcement, and and you've been told that you're supposed to trust law enforcement with your safety, but now that's been shaken. Right. So, right. So when you step out into the world, you have a heightened level of stress that you're dealing with. So you're you're dealing with uh, PTSD from something that you didn't even necessarily experience directly, but it's there. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's everything you said is spot on because it is. Um, I like one of the things I say, you know, and that is true, is that when our emotions are high, our logic is low. So one of the things I say in therapy, and this is not to invalidate anyone's anger from when, you know, when you are seeing these things and people look like you and they could be your brother, you know, it could be your husband, it could be your mom, your, your sister, your, your child. Um, it enrages you. 
And, and like you said, you take that out with you when you go live your life because people are dying on your television screen in real time, in real life, and you still have to go live your real life. Mm -hmm. And you have to interact with persons that do not look like you. And um, or, uh, on top of that, even, even more so, that may drastically have different views. Yeah. And I was uh, like, so drastic views. And even those who you know, you when you go out into the world with this rage and maybe you have an interaction with a, um, and I, I had this conversation with a client where you have an interaction with a, a, a person of a different race, maybe a white person, you're black, and you know, you get shocked that this person actually was, you know, treated you nice just because they said, you know, excuse me, mm. or hello, you know, and that shouldn't be a shock. Yeah. <laughs> but... When you're in this state of rage um, and, and you don't know how you're coming off either. And I'm, I'm not making excuses for anyone's bad behavior, you know, and I'm saying you're, you're validated in your anger for seeing these things, but be careful on how it's how you're wearing. Because mm. um, a lot of people have turned their anger into advocacy, which is great. Mm -hmm. A lot of people cannot turn their anger into advocacy. So I encourage those persons who have trouble finding the proper avenue to let it out to um, definitely seek some, some guidance, whether it be from a friend, a family member, a therapist, a, a doctor, whomever, a religious um, representative, someone, because that is where, you know, the trauma, you start wearing it and trauma affects our bodies. Um, and it affects every area of our life. So it's definitely a real thing. I'm glad that you brought that I up. Have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you think that not, not dealing with mental health may affect a person's parenting? So it, and I, professionally, I'm going to say it, it definitely can affect your parenting because, um, from an early age, your children go through what you go through. And um, so if you are in stressful situations, be it in your household, in relationships, um, your children are watching you. And a lot of times, I think a lot of parents are aloof to how much their children are absorbing from them. And you don't get it until your child is a teenager, your child is an adult, and you're mm. seeing some of these same behaviors play out. And you're like, why are you doing this? It's what you taught them to do. And, um, you know, that old saying, do as I say, not as I do, throw that out the window. Because if you are showing your child that, um, and, and this is not to downplay anyone who um, is diagnosed with an anxiety disorder of any sort, but, you know, certain behaviors around children um, influence them to react the same way. And you have to talk about it. So I, I always encourage parents who struggle with severe mental health disorders depression, anxiety, start being transparent when you feel like your children can handle those conversations. So maybe that happens at adolescence and I'm talking 12 and up, but um, even under 12, your children are way more resilient than you probably give them credit for. And so if you are, you know, enacting really volatile behaviors or bad behaviors, they're watching you, they're absorbing this, um, you know, I've done therapy with children and you have children and tell me things that I'm like, whoa. And, you know, they're very aware. They're worried about their parents in certain situations. So I think mm -hmm. mental health affects parenting a great deal. Um, and I think 
it, that is another reason why I'm like, if you are a parent, get get the help if you need it. And even if you say you're not depressed, you don't have anxiety, but maybe, you know, um, you got, we, I call it, your picker is broken. And, and in any relationship, you're going to have to deal with stuff. But maybe the relationship you in, you're in is teaching your children a vicious cycle of something. True. So you have to look at those things as well, because um, those are, are a big, those are really big influencers. Huge. You know, look at your work ethic. Um, if your children are used to seeing you not going to work, like because you're you're just lazy, are you just going out? You know, you're putting you're prioritizing other things. You're teaching them that, and um, they're seeing these things. And a lot of times they may copy it, or they may grow a, a real strong um, disdain for it, and you know, do the total opposite. But you never know what how the outcome is going to affect them. So I say, even if you don't get a therapy as a parent. Put your children in therapy if you are comfortable because children, I will say this, there are a lot more affordable resources for children, in my experience, than there are for adults. The, um, would you would you say that the parents should be a little bit a little bit more hesitant to put their children in therapy due to maybe receiving labels at an early age? So yeah. <laughs> That's 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 a hard question. Okay. But I will okay. say it's very so when we're talking about behavioral issues, um, I have really strong viewpoints on that because children can be labeled um, with, you know, you have like ADHD, mood dysregulation disorder, oppositional defiant. It's all kind of stuff they put on children. And um, I don't believe in wearing labels. I definitely don't believe in children wearing labels. I believe in us providing the needed services to help a child succeed. And we know that our educational system and healthcare system can fail children terribly. Um, so definitely be hesitant, but just like you would be, at, I don't want to say after, just like you would have healthy conversation and you would advocate for your child in regards to his teacher, do the same thing with the therapist, do the same thing with the assigned caseworker, do the same things with the people that are assisting you in your child's care. Talk to us. Ask us what is happening. You know, is this something that is going to follow them? And always get a second opinion. Always, always, always. So um, I agree. You should be hesitant, but you should also be an advocate for your child. Okay. Yeah. That's so I hope I hope people don't don't lose sight on um, the importance of getting therapy, but just you know, definitely do all your research, just like you would any major decision that you make, and um, that's like really really important. I do want to um, before we go, I want you to tell people where they can access your content, um, and basically, yeah, where can they find you? So um, I would say. So justinblue.com, justinblu.com. That's the best way to just keep up with everything that I have going on, the resources that I'm creating, and interviews, podcasts, posts, information, all that stuff. Just justinblu.com is the best place to go for that where you can get everything. But then also on social media, Instagram, Twitter is justinblu underscore, and Facebook is Justin Blue University. So that's, okay, that's, that's cool. the way people can can connect with me and and um just see everything that's going on. So 
Because you're doing some important work. And like I said, we need other persons out there that are advocates for mental health. That's not just therapists. So people look at it as a more valuable thing to do. Um, because when it's just therapists saying it, sometimes it falls on deaf ears. Um, yeah, so I really, yeah, I really appreciate you coming or well, speaking with me, joining me rather. And I want to just make sure before we go, I tell everybody, if you are looking for Latrinette, she is on Psychology Today. Um, you can check her out on her website, loveandempathycounseling.com. If you're looking for me, I'm on Psychology Today as well. And I'm on smilepsychology.com. You can find us on Instagram, underscore therapy and ish, and Facebook, we're on therapy and ish. Um, reach out to us with your questions. If you need help with referring to a therapist, definitely reach out to us. We're open. So, again, Justin, thank you so much what? for speaking can with Can I me. ask you a question before we get off? Sure. Okay. If, if someone is having a stressful day, mm-hmm. in order to turn that day around, what advice would you have? self-care so I I brought it up and I'm going to tell everybody to think about this when you and I were talking I said the one thing people don't know how to do is take care of themselves figure out how to take care of you and so when you are having those stressful days have at least a couple of things that you know that you can use you know whether you need to go take a run you need to walk you know maybe it's an album that you listen to maybe you need to if you are a religious person, you need to pray. There are scriptures that you rely on. Maybe there's a friend you can call. Utilize those resources that you use to care for yourself because sometimes self-care can be expensive. Like people like massages and, you know, indulging, but that's not always realistic. Um, I'm big on um, sometimes the the meditation apps because it's breathing exercises and things like that just to just calm you down. So I... I encourage everyone to implement some sort of self-care routine. All right. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's the best advice I can give you right now without them coming to a session. <laughs> that's so, good advice. Uh, yeah. Well, I thank you again. And um, I will definitely be in contact. And y'all reach out to Justin and us if y'all need anything. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Take care.